Elizabeth, I feel like it's been forever since I've seen you. So happy to see everybody. Miss your faces. Good evening, everyone. All right. If there are 61 people here online, we are still waiting for others to log in, wanting to be mindful about the, the noise volume. And so we have everyone muted as you're coming in. Keisha, can you say something? Yes, I can. Can you hear me? Making sure. Okay. So we're also live on YouTube. Just I saw that. All right. So, um, yeah, our internet should be fine. We'll pray um, the devil down. So just by a nod of head, can everybody hear me? All right, praise the Lord. You know, you can never really truly trust this, uh, <laughs> the digital world. So that had to be stressed out unnecessarily, but um, glad to have you all here. I know we'll have maybe a few more people to trickle in. Uh, shout out to the choir, you know, shout out to the choir and um, to um, my brother Keys, Marquis, he has the, much of the choir here. And so I'm grateful that you're here. Um, and everybody else, my community, my family, my leaders, and other people in um, maybe in from Facebook or from YouTube. So I'm grateful that you all are here. Shout out to Danny. Um, looking at all the names before we get started. And at that moment, I'm, an, I'm going to need to um, spotlight myself. I think, my, I think I should be spotlighted right now, shouldn't I? Keisha? You are. Okay. Just you continue to be, although I'm speaking, so I only see you. Okay, great, great. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at all of the the faces that we have, so obviously the word has gotten out, and you can text somebody or invite somebody else to uh, join in. Got around 60 people, so whether we had two people or 62 people, we were going to still um, be present. What's up, Chuck? Um, yeah, so I'm glad to, hey, church, how you doing? Um, Munson, Deneen, thank you all for carving out time to join me here today. Uh, Curly, I can't see you, but I'm still here with you. I appreciate you for tuning in. Ivan, Barbara, uh, Pamela, Lashandra, um, thank you all for, for tuning in. Just about to get started. I want to be very judicious with your time. Um, so I will set myself on. There you go. Appreciate that. Absolutely. So everyone, as you're coming in, we're muting you just to be mindful. 
of the feedback? It should, it should already be um, set so that people would be muted, but mm -hmm. obviously not. So let's see. Um, nope. I don't know. Well, you got it. So yeah. you said I'm the speaker view. You say I'm the one that everybody can, can see. Well, let me ask everybody, then we'll get started. Everybody, do you see the, the plaid screen of everybody's faces or do you just see mine? Because that can be distracting. Do you see mine? Yes. You, you can type in the comment section. No, no, no. Yeah, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. So we good. We good. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So good evening, everybody. I'm glad that you are here. Um, those who are on this Zoom call and those who are in, um, who are tuning in via YouTube or who might listen to this as a replay. Yes, we are recording this. Um, and so... <clears throat> We'll be able to, if you need or if you desire for any reason, to um, to retrieve this recording. We can work that out. Um, so thank you again for joining in. This is normally uh, the community, the congregation in which I shepherd is usually our time in which we will be praying and we'll make sure that uh, praying is at the heart of what we're doing. But I do want it. I do want to take time to. Um, to share my heart with you and share some things with you and not just from my perspective. Um, so I've had, I've had to sit quietly with the Lord over the course of um, the past several months, especially during COVID, but uh, even during our time right now. So nothing that I'm doing is what I have communicated is reactive. You know, it's more so responsive. Um, and you can tell by that, by the diversity of the people who are on uh, this call. We have both white, black, brown, and blue uh, on this call. And that is a testament to what we believe the Lord is doing. And so uh, make no mistake, we are in a time of spiritual warfare, heightened spiritual warfare. Um, uh, but it's not all relegated to the spirit. You know, some of the things that we wrestle with right now are in the natural um, and things that we must do, ways we must respond. Much of it is in the spiritual, but much, but much of it is also natural. And so I wanna make sure that I clarify that. Um, thank you. I wanna pray with you and I wanna give you an outline of what I would like to do uh, this evening. Did you, say you, did you say something about Nate? Did you say Nate was here? I did. He is. I don't see him, but Nate, I'm glad that you're here, bro. Appreciate you, North Carolina. Um, all right. Yeah. So, and I think if you can see, I have a, I have a, a, a monopoly board, and you know, hopefully, you know, should the spirit speak, we would talk a little bit about monopoly as well. Um, but I want to share with you a little bit about um, what I believe um, the Lord would have us to know right now. This is not relegated to. Uh, the community in which I shepherd, I have a mantle that uh, the Lord has given me and the mantle that I have is not like the mantle of maybe the next person. I have to be responsible with what the Lord has given me. And so speaking about matters of what we're speaking about this this evening, um, yes, they're sensitive, hypersensitive. Uh, yes, they can be landmines. Um, but the gospel that we preach, the gospel that we live uh, doesn't avoid hard subjects. Um, and so I want to talk about a few things, but, and I want to give you my outline of what we want to discuss and 
that we're just going to jump right on into it. Um, but I want to share a few things with you, and I want to diffuse a few landmines for both my um, my white counterparts, my black counterparts, uh, and everybody in between. Um, and so let me pray with you right now, everybody on one accord. <clears throat> God, thank you for this time. Allow us to be faithful with it by surrendering to your spirit, not our opinions, not our desires, not our thoughts, not our what we, what we would want uh, this moment to be. But God, we pray that you uh, go before us, that God, you make your presence evident, and that God, you, you unclog our ears, make our hearts fertile, and give us the ability to hear, to listen, to and to respond. And so God, I thank you for the people who have been responsive and the people who are right now. And it is my desire that, that God, we hear what you will speak to us, not just with our ears, but with our hearts. And that God, with our feet, with our hands, and with everything of our being, Allow us to respond accordingly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd love to get a shout, amen, but don't unmute yourself because we'll have two hours before we can get everybody muted again. Um, everybody just make sure your phones and your devices are muted. All right, there are a few things that I want to share with you. Um, let me first say that I'm not, I don't have you here and we're not here to discuss uh, Democrat, uh, Republican, independent, or anything else in the in-between. Um, I'm not here to try to influence you one way or the other. I need you to hear that. Um, we are here um, to have a discussion about racism, a discussion about um, equity and equality, a discussion about Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, a discussion about um, privilege, um, and some other things, and maybe one or two other things that I'd like to share with you. But hear me clearly um, of how I want to arrive to these subjects. Um, these are truths that I want to share with you, not from my opinion, but from listening to other people, having my hands on the pulses, the collective pulses of other individuals um, and just paying attention and asking questions and conversations um, that I have had. Um, and so before we leave today, what I wanna be able to do is after I share these things with you um, by way of conversations and what uh, is to be true, I wanna challenge um, both Fam, all family members, whether you are part of law enforcement, I have family, friends, uh, loved ones who are in law enforcement. So um, I have my positions about that, just, what, just like I have my positions um, about everything else. And they're really good people. So um, I have white colleagues, which I'm using the term white Caucasian, I know there's political correctness, um, who 
I wouldn't be in the position that I am at Hope if the Lord had not used them to sow into my lives and to develop relationships with me. There are some people on this phone right now who are not of the darkest hue who would take a bullet for me right now. Somebody pulled out a, a gun and would shoot it. I know some people, I won't call names right now, that foolishly would step in front of the gun to take a bullet for me. So, um, yes, this is about color. Um, but we will not judge people, white, black, or other, by the sum total of their worst parts or bad parts. And so I want to have a conversation with you about a few of these things. And I want to challenge you. And I want to give you uh, some homework. Let me first say this. I'm going to see everybody's face when I say this. I am not here to debate you. I am not here to debate anyone. That is not why I'm here. If you want to debate, you can find somebody else. That's, that's not why I'm here. Um, I'm not here to argue. I'm not here to debate. I'm here to have a conversation. Well, I'm here to talk to you today, and we would see what the Lord would say moving forward. Um, I want to ask you to pray for humility and understanding. So if you don't have something to write with, something to write on, I'm not telling you I would say something that is worth you to write. But I, I would like for you to always keep something to write with and write on, or if you have a device that won't dis fully distract you. I need for you beyond this conversation, this conversation and beyond, I really need for you to be praying for humility and understanding. When I look this way, I'm looking at some of my notes, just so you know. Um, I want you to pray for humility and understanding. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I here to argue? Am I here to understand? Even in this conversation, beyond this conversation, beyond this conversation, but even, even in this moment, not just white, not just black. I am not talking to a specific person, but I have no problem in this conversation because you are here, you tuned in, and whether you're on YouTube or on this line, you tuned in because you gave me permission to speak truth. So I'm going to speak truth with you and I won't, um, we won't play patty cake today, okay? Right? So ask yourself, even if it's something that I say you disagree with, if it's something that I say, something that someone else says, moving forward, ask yourself, do I want to argue or do I want to understand? And you answer that question. Um, two things. Well, that's one thing. So I'm going to say two things, three things. I don't know which number I'm on. Practice listening to understand and not to respond. I'm trying to help you already. Now, some of you might get to a point where I say something, you might not like what I say, so you might log off, or you, your internet might mess up and then I may just attribute it to you that I just said something you didn't like. But neither here nor there, I wanna encourage you today, even if it's today only, just endure this conversation. You don't have to log back on, we do this again or whatever, but endure this conversation for the sake of not missing perhaps something that you need to be exposed to or something you need to hear again. Practice listening to understand and not respond. And some people are saying, I already know that, but you don't apply that if we're honest or you, you haven't mastered that. So I want you to practice listening, not to respond, not to rebuttal, but to simply understand. Because to listen means you have to lose something. 
You see what I'm saying? Like you, in order to literally gain an understanding, you have to, you have to kill some of yourself. Like you literally have to lose something in order to listen. It's not easy, but this is what I want to ask you to do. Listen to understand and not to respond and do this, do this third thing. Try to focus on the why just as much as the what. Try to focus on the why just as much as the what. We have mastered focusing on the what. And we belittle and overlook the why because we feel we already have the answer to that. But if we had the, the, the true answer to the why, then we probably wouldn't be focusing on the what as much. What do I mean? Why are they protesting? This, we're just talking general terms, just giving an example. Why are they looting? Uh, let's just let's just let's go a little deeper. Okay, maybe I know why they're protesting, but why are they stealing? Why are they damaging stuff? Why are they destroying stuff? We see the what. We focus on the what, and we never ask the why. We we ask it in a rhetorical sense, but we never stop to even try to discover. I'm saying we because I want to put myself in the same bowl of of soup. Why are they looting? Why are they yelling? Why are they so upset? I'm saying why, because I'm saying that what we would tend to do is focus on the what. And many times if you come at me incorrect or you're yelling, I can't hear you because you're yelling and I'm, and that has to totally thrown me off. But we've been in this situation before, so I want to challenge you, everybody on this phone, white, black, blue, brown, and any other color in between, purple if you want to say, I want to challenge you to focus on the why just as much as the what. And this is not an exclusive conversation to white people, to Caucasian Americans. This is a conversation as much as uh, people with darker hue. I am an equal opportunity offender in this conversation. But we have somewhere to go, and I need you to walk with me. Um, there's three things that you're going to have to do that I'm going to challenge you to do in order for us to move forward from this conversation. The first thing I mentioned just a little bit is to listen. The second thing is to learn. And the third thing is to move, to act. All right. Seems simple, seems remedial, but I'm going to back up a little bit. I'm going to ask you to listen. I'm actually to listen. I'm going to ask you to learn. Then I'm going to ask you to act or to move. The reason why I'm not concerned about asking you to move or to act prematurely is because if you just go out there and protest, some of my white counterparts, because you don't like what's going on, you can move, you can act, but at the very moment, your actions require a certain level of sacrifice, or at the, at the, at the moment that the protests quell, then so does that emotion at that moment, right? And so when you get to a point where you have to self-sacrifice or you have to sacrifice, then that moving won't be sustained. So in order for your moving and your movement or your actions to be sustained, you have to then learn. The more you learn, it's more like fuel for you. If you do not take the time to learn, and this even goes to my, my, my darky hue, if you don't take time to learn about certain things in our history, it will not fuel you in this time. And when this time passes, you go back to normal until something else does it to disrupt your, your normal. So 
I don't care about the, the emotion, so to speak. I, I appreciate the gesture of us saying, okay, let's, let's shake something up. Let's go out. Let's do this. Let's do this. That's great. But if you do not take the time to learn the why you need to be moving, injustice is a general term, right? Just to say racial injustice or equity, that's great but we need to talk more about what that means, the semantics of it, the details of it, the laws, the different, the biases that you may contribute to and you don't realize it. And so until someone stops to start having that conversation, we'll keep doing this same cyclical behavior. We'll do this, be upset, tear up things, you know, get upset and eventually we'll go back to normal. There'll still be people who are protesting. Do not do not, there's still people who will be out there, white, black, and other, but I want to talk to you because it's important that you first listen. You have to listen. The reason why listening is so pivotal is because any dysfunctional relationship, let's just take a, just to take a, a brief detour. If you've ever been in, in a, a dysfunctional relationship where communication was not the greatest feature, then you know what it's like to have two people talking at one another. You can just, you can just nod your head. Well, one person is saying one thing and even the healthy relationships, every now and then you'll have this issue. I see my bro, Danny, just kind of, you know, chuckling. Uh, but what will happen is you'll have one person saying one thing, right? And then another person hearing something different. And I'm saying one thing with English, the English language, using the same words that you know that's in your vocabulary. I'm saying one thing, but you're hearing something different. And if no one takes the time to stop and either, uh, literally ask clarifying questions and nobody chooses to say, you know what, this isn't getting anywhere. So let me just be quiet and let me let me try to learn, understand you before I seek to be understood. Then we'll keep doing the same thing. The greatest relationships, and I'm going somewhere, have fallen because of the lack of communication. And what I teach usually when we start talking about communication, if you're going to communicate effectively, how do we begin a discussion? We begin a discussion when you talk about communicating, uh, communi communication or communicating effectively, who talks? Who is the one that needs to be understood? The person who should be talking first doesn't, is not necessarily the elder person, is not necessarily the strongest person, is not necessarily the one who has the money. The person who should talk first is the one who is communicating the grievance. If you're going to communicate effectively, you might have an answer, you might have a position, but whoever is the one that is trying to communicate the grievance is the one who should be given an opportunity to speak first. And if they speak first, then it's our responsibility to be the one to listen, regardless if you have a rebuttal that can shut down what they have to say. I know this because I fall in the trap all the time. So I'm talking about relationships, I'm talking about communication, and I'm talking about who should be the one who, who is listened to. It doesn't matter what color of your skin, it doesn't matter what part of the country you're from, it doesn't matter how old or how young you are. Whoever is the one is saying, hey, I have a problem that I want to share that I need to talk about. That is the person who should be the one who should um, state their grievance and is the one who should uh, be listened to. 
I'm getting, I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm going to where I'm, I need to, to go. And so I told you that in listening, somebody has to lose something. When I check the scriptures, and I'm not making this a spiritual thing, but I can't move from scripture. Jesus was not just a great orator with parables. He wasn't just a great teacher. Jesus was first a great listener. Go back and look at the text, look at the gospels, see how he engages people. When he engages people, he asks clarifying questions. He doesn't assume that the man who was sitting at the pool of Bethesda for so many years, he doesn't assume that this man, because he's been there so long, that he likes being there. He doesn't assume that this man who was sitting at the pool doesn't care about moving or having a greater life. He doesn't make assumptions based on what he sees. When he engages this man, instead of blocking him and considering him to be just like somebody else he healed, he asks him clarifying questions. And so he's a great listener in, in that he asks questions and he listens for the answers. The byproduct of him listening is healing. Healing can't come without listening. And if you and and you can't be a great listener in the natural, and then or you can't be a bad listener in the natural, then all of a sudden be a great listener in the spirit. Like you can't walk in the spirit and then just not pay attention to what the spirit of God. We, we have a responsibility as Christians, as believers, those who seek to walk in the spirit of God and to grow to become better listeners in both the natural and the spiritual. Jesus teaches us if you want healing, somebody has to learn how to listen. Everybody can't talk. Everybody can't have the answers. And when you listen, you need to ask clarifying questions. I don't care if you're the one being healed. I don't care if you're the one that you're doing the healing. Jesus gives us, he gives us this blueprint on how do we arrive to a place where we actually find healing. There's some landmines I want to defuse. Listen, I'm also playing uh, Monopoly as I'm talking to you setting up this monopoly board. So let's talk about listening for a moment. So when we listen, we listen to understand, not to respond. Jesus doesn't assume he listens and he asks clarifying questions. All right, so let me diffuse a, a couple of landmines for you. When a black person says, Black Lives Matter, or for some of you, if you maybe had a bad experience with that, because there's some people who might be a part of a movement, the movement Black Lives Matter and supporting the statement Black Lives Matter are two different things, right? I can, a person can say they believe that Black Lives Matter doesn't mean that they're part of the movement. Um, but when a Black person or yeah, a black person says Black Lives Matter. They say Black Lives Matter, but what do you hear? I'll answer the question not because I know, just because I've been paying attention, listening, and talking to, to people. When a black person says, now, now let's say when Isaac says it, because if I say it, then you perhaps will listen a little differently. 
if I say Black Lives Matter, or when a black person, or when someone, when a black person says Black Lives Matter, they say Black Lives Matter. But what do not all? I'm not grouping everybody. I'm not generalizing all black people. I'm not generalizing all white people, blue people. Just follow me. When when a black person says Black Lives Matter, many white people, what do they hear? I mean, what they hear is Black Lives are more superior than white lives or any other lives. Diffuse yourself, feel my spirit, feel the spirit in which I'm talking. I'm not talking down or talking to be right. Just follow where I'm going. So although a black person says black lives matter, what one can hear often is, well, that means no other lives matter. So this means that black lives are more superior. Right. That's what many people hear. So let me, let me let me share with you when a person says black lives matter. That is not the equivalence of when a white person says white power. It's not what I think it's what has been proven and clarified and clear when a white person says white power. What they're saying is the white race is superior to all other races. That's not even up for discussion. All right, we, we know that. When a black person says black lives matter, what, they're, what they are not saying is that no other lives matter. They're not saying that black lives are superior to white lives, brown lives, blue lives, green lives, or gray lives. When a black person for the most part says black lives matter, what they're actually telling you is, or what they're saying and what they're pleading is, my life as an African-American matters not more than yours, but just as much as yours, right? So regardless of the delivery, what is actually being communicated is that my life, Black lives, or my life matters and should matter just as much as everyone else. Or let me go a little further. I believe, Isaac Curry believes that all lives matter, right? I will go as far as to say majority, if not all people, black people, not all, but just say majority of them believe that all lives matter. But here is the issue with the equation, all lives matter. In order for all lives to matter, black lives must also matter. And so in order for the sum total of this equation to be what it needs to be, then each of the parts that make up the sum total need to be equal. And so if black lives is less than any other life, then it's hard for me to subscribe to an all lives matter statement. And so this is why usually, let's flip it, when a white person says all lives matter, I will go as far as to say most people who most white people who say that aren't saying that white lives are superior. Get me because now I'm switching and I'm also talking to myself and to people of the darker hue. When when most, not all, because it can be half and half, when most white people, many white people say all lives matter, what they're actually saying is all lives do matter. We believe all lives matter. We believe white, black, blue, green, yellow, everybody lives matter. That's usually 
what they mean. But an African-American who hears the statement, all lives matter, it usually comes as a rebuttal to the statement, black lives matter. And so when, when I hear, or when a black person hears the statement, all lives matter as a rebuttal to their cry out that their life should matter, what they're saying, what, what they hear, what they're hearing you say is that they prefer, when you say all lives matter, they're simply believing or what they're hearing is what you're saying is that, please be quiet. We don't really want to deal with it. When a person says all lives matter, it, pro it, it oftentimes enrages even more or aggravates more because it forces us or it forces an African-American to say to you in which or in which world view that you have has black lives actually, you know, been equal. And so when, when we say all lives matter, instead of, instead of saying black lives do matter, because for us, once at, for African-Americans, once as you say, and you can agree and believe that black lives do matter, then there's no longer an argument about all lives mattering because we do believe that all lives matter all right let me let me help you just a, a little more with that all lives matter and don't let me lose you when a black person hears make this country what it used to be hear this don't let me lose you it's nothing to do with the president because you never have to say the phrase, make America great again, but when you indicate that you would like things to go back to what they used to be, most people who are white are saying this, we would like for the economy to strive. We would like for our families, you know, uh, to be at peace again. We would like e employment to go back to normal. When most people say, or when many people say, man, we just want things to go back to normal. Most white people, when they say that, they, they aren't, being bigots, but don't let me miss you because we're still talking about communication, what you're saying and what someone is hearing. When most people say that, man, want things to go back the way they used to be, you don't have to say the phrase, make America great again, or you don't have to say, make this country what it used to be. When you make that statement and you do not qualify with anything else, although you're hoping for the economy to go back to where it used to be and employment and things like this to go back to the what African Americans are hearing when you say that, they're hearing that we want you, we, we want things to go back to covert so that we don't have to deal with this conversation of racism. We don't have to deal with inequality. We, let's go back to the way things used to be. So for black people, we try to go back in our minds to the 19 or to 2015 to 2000s to 1990s to 1980s, 70s, 60s, and on forth. And we try to think to ourselves, when has it been a time for us as a, a race where we weren't still trying to even climb out of a hole? I'm playing Monopoly, everybody. I'm setting up the Monopoly board because, you know, we have to play Monopoly. And if you haven't played Monopoly, I'm just going to teach you a couple of things about Monopoly.
I'm not digressing. I'm talking about communication and miscommunication. And so when, when we say that statement and we don't qualify, then it, what the, what the, what the African-American hears is, don't you remember what happened? If we want it to go back to the way it was, then it will be worse than what it is right now for us as a race, right? And so that's what we hear. The, the more we hear that statement is because, hey, you know, it hadn't always been good. And, and hear me, I know that there's some people who both black and white who say, I'm tired of having the race conversation. I'm tired of talking about race. Can we just talk about other things? That's really how we got into the situation we're in, to be honest with you. Just let me be frank, be frank with you. Because in order for us to get out of this place, we have to talk about it as much as we need to talk about it to the point where it's not something that we avoid, right? Um, this doesn't change my relationship with people who I still call family and brothers. Danny gonna be my brother of a white color and hue, no matter what, you know, and every everybody else on this line. But I'm going somewhere, but we have to, I gotta diffuse a few things. Um, make, a, make this country what it used to be although it is for some people it's literally just saying we we want things to go back to normal what i want you to know is for you it was normal but for people who you didn't know people who you don't know it's been everything but normal so to to make that phrase without qualifying you know making the making going back to the way it used to be and addressing but also it, or or excluding you know this or this or this then at least at least African Americans know that you're not you're not blind right or you're not um, callous to the conversation now follow me I'm still I'm still going somewhere YouTube don't let me lose you because we have to have this conversation and I will not allow you all to microwave this conversation so so yo Black Lives Matter all lives matter get it get it okay get it in order for all lives to matter some many are just crying out black lives also have to matter not just black lives every life the bible teaches us that every life is valuable every life is is important right and so it's hard for african americans so this is a statement that is usually made just so you know you've heard it before but it said that things aren't getting worse they're just getting filmed right and so for some of my older colleagues who are on this line, you, you've experienced more than I've experienced. And so what has happened in the country, let's say in Minneapolis, for some people, some black people, we've become so, we've become so um, callous to it that it doesn't move us. For some white people, it's the first time you've seen it. And it's like, this is crazy. But then there are other people saying, if this is crazy, like, wait until I talk to you about 1921, 1923, 1934. Right. I have to talk to you about that. I give you that homework because we can look at that person at the pool of Bethesda who has been there for so many years and we can assume that he's at that pool because he wants to be there, but we don't know his history or his story. I'm talking about the text in the Bible when Jesus heals this man. And so every time we look at that text and every time we look at the man who was at the pool who has been there for so many years, let's not assume why he's been there. Let's not put a jacket on him until we have a conversation with him, until we learn more about him, his history, and perhaps what has happened in his life. So let me, let, let, let me talk about another subject. Let me, let, me, let me diffuse one more thing. Privilege. 
and white privilege. Yeah, he is talking about white privilege or privilege. I'm setting up my Monopoly board, by the way. All right, so when white people, when a black person says the, the term white privilege, when a black person says this, what a white person hears is that I'm racist. I don't care about anybody else. I need to feel guilty because I'm white. I didn't work hard for anything that I have. My whole life has been easy and that I need to surrender and somehow give up and feel guilty about being born white. When a black person or when people use this term as a weapon, whatever the case is, when they say white privilege, usually the person on the other side who receives that, there's a feeling of guilt, feeling of, there's some type of emotion you're feeling, but one thing you're feeling, especially for those people who have accomplished a lot in their lives, they're, they're saying to themselves, I didn't have anything handed to me. I pulled my, myself up by my bootstraps and this is not, this hadn't been easy. And so automatically there's tension because of this word and because of what um, maybe a white person hears and what they believe that this means. And again, let's be clear on both sides of the spectrum, words have been weaponized. So let's not exclude that. But I wanna talk to the people who are here who want to progress. And so ultimately you walk away from that word feeling like you need to give up your privilege. Don't let me, don't let me lose you. What black people are saying, or what I will say about, it's not so much that you didn't pull yourself up by your bootstraps, more so it's, it's saying that we don't have any boots to put on or we just finally got some boots to wear and they don't even have any shoestrings in it and we're just trying to get in the game or we believe in pulling yourself up by bootstraps but most of the people i know don't have shoes to walk so they don't have anything to pull themselves up with and so let's just talk about this term privilege for a moment so that i can diffuse it for you because nobody should feel guilty about the word privilege because nobody on this line, nobody in YouTube asked to be born into the context that you were born in. You weren't asked, you didn't have a, an opinion, you didn't have, you had nothing to do with you. You woke up, you came into this world, this is where you are. So what you have, not you don't necessarily have to feel guilty about, but you do have to educate yourself. Everybody on this line has privilege. I'm not just talking about white privilege. Let me talk to you what privilege is. Privilege describes the benefits that belong to a people uh, because they fit into a specific social group, all right? And so because you fit into a specific social group, you have specific benefits that come with that. Let's not fight it. It's a true statement, but I'll, but I'll continue to share how true it is. Privilege is defined as an advantage that you have that is out of your control, something you didn't have, something you didn't ask for. 
Let's move away from white privilege for a moment and let me share with you a few things about privilege. Not just the subject of white privilege, let's talk about the privileges that we all have. All right, did you know there's a such thing as religious privilege? Christian privilege? Because you are a Christian, you are afforded to be in a context where when Christmas comes around, you don't have to go to work. Because you are a Christian, you don't have to, in this country, in this context, you don't have to worry about real persecution. Like you don't have to worry about being over there in the Middle East where you actually have to um, hide underground to go to church. All right, so there is a certain privilege that we have as Christians, or there is a religious privilege that you have because you are a part of a social group. You have certain benefits that you get to enjoy that other people who are not a part of your, your people group, they don't get, a, they don't get a holiday where they get holidays where they get to take off of work or they don't have to worry about if they go to their mosque or if they go to their place of worship that they would potentially lose their lives. So whether you agree with it or not, it's still privilege. And so when you start talking about privilege, people start getting antsy, not just white people. When you start talking about white privilege, people get antsy when you start when you start touching and talking about their privilege to the point where they feel like they got to do something about it or they have to defend it. So when you start talking about religious privilege, there is Christian privilege that we have that other people don't have to worry about in this context. Right. So if somebody shares with you your Christian privilege, it would behoove you to listen to the privilege that you have and be grateful for the privilege that you have. But I don't think you need to stop being a Christian and stop enjoying your privileges. But I'm going to go a little further about how you need to put privilege in its place. We have Christian privilege. Believe it or not, you don't believe this. We have gender privilege. All right. I don't care if you agree with me, it's just the truth. As a male, I have specific privileges that are not benefit to a woman, which is why we are often in a context where we're talking about equal pay, or we're in a context where women have to worry about working harder and doing more just to show that they're qualified to do whatever job it is that they're, that they're applying for or they've been working the same job that you've been working, but they've been, they haven't been treated the same. You or we as a man, we, feel, we may feel some type of way when you start talking about as a man, I gotta give up this privilege to women and I gotta share this on the job, I got this privilege. And when you start messing with people's privilege, people start feeling funny and acting funny. So it ain't just white privilege, it's, it's more privilege than just that. So with this, with, this, with this gender privilege, not just man or woman, but still you have, certain privileges with your gender that the opposite gender doesn't get to enjoy. Doesn't mean you need to decrease your pay. You, it doesn't mean you need to go to your boss and say, you know what, she's doing just as good a job as I'm doing, so I think you need to take, I need to take a pay cut. No, no, but it would behoove you to learn 
the ins and outs of your privilege and not ignore that as a man, I have privilege and find ways where I can actually be a voice to a woman so that she doesn't or they don't have to work by themselves over time because as long as it's not messing with my privilege as a man, ah, you know, we'll get back to it. I'm not just talking about white privilege, I'm talking about privilege. So it's not just religious privilege, it's not just gender privilege, whether you agree with it or not, there is still a such thing called heterosexual privilege. I know we got our, we got our Bibles, you know, you, you, you can, we're conservative. We know what the Bible says about gay marriage and gay relationships and, you know, men, men, women, and women, regardless of what you believe, regardless of what you see to be true, it still does not overlook or avoid that as a heterosexual, you don't have to worry about coming out. You don't have to worry about losing your life. You don't have to worry about if you make a decision to shift your gender, whatever the case, that somebody might kill you. And because it doesn't impact you, it's easy to be blind to the benefits and the privileges that you have as a heterosexual. I don't have to yell. Yeah, right there. So just stop yelling. I said, cool, got you. So as a heterosexual, I also have benefits, I also have privileges. What I'm trying to do is build a case before as a black person, I assume that all white people who have privilege, they know they have privilege, they don't care they have privilege and they don't wanna do anything about it. What I wanna do is make the field a little bit more murky and talk about how we all have privilege of some sort, but we live in it so much and so often that it's so easy to overlook the privilege that we have. And so it's, it was, it's incumbent upon us to stop and say, okay, let me pay attention to all of the privileges that I do have and what can I do about it? Because when we get to the heterosexual, there's still the socioeconomic privilege. Socioeconomic privilege. Socioeconomic privilege. It's, it, it's so much to say that depending on where you live and depending on how, how much money you have, you might not be able to buy certain things. It has nothing to do with your work ethic. Many people think because you, you, you do not have, or you live in this side of the town or side of Memphis or the side of the country that you choose this. This is what you, this is what you desire, but sometimes your socio, socioeconomic, where you live and how much money you make or what you have, it affords you certain benefits. And so when you are in a certain socioeconomic context, you don't have to worry about a lot of things that people who are in this socioeconomic have to deal with. And the reason why I can talk about that, because I might stay now in the quasi suburb, but I come from the projects and I can tell you a whole lot of things about the projects. And so I'm saying to you, I'm not just talking about what I know. I mean, what I think, I'm telling you what I know. There, there's still benefits and privileges that come with that. All right, so what do you do with privilege? Yes, there is white privilege, meaning you didn't ask to be born in this country, in this context, but because you are a part of a certain people group, there's some things that you do not have to worry about. 
It does not mean you're not a hard worker. It does not mean you didn't have to stay up night after night after night, counting the books and getting this business off the ground. And It doesn't mean that you didn't have sleepless nights. You didn't go through a marriage because you chose the business over the, it, it doesn't mean none of that, not even a little bit. But what it does mean is this, just like there is gender privilege, just like there is religious privilege, there is a privilege based on like the color of your skin that there's things you don't have to worry about. I know people are upset right now because they're talking about defunding, you know, the police department everywhere, which if you want, it's, I don't agree with destroying the police. It's not the what, it's the why. I don't agree with it. But I understand the why. Because see, when you don't have to live in a certain socioeconomic context, when you don't have a certain color, I'm not saying white people didn't have to, but I'm saying there is a large majority of African Americans who you have to worry about the same people who are supposed to protect you. Like, you have to worry about arming yourself with with a weapon that is legal in your own home only to have somebody who has, you know, a uniform to come in and kill you and to get off or whatever the case is. So time after time, and I get it. One bad cop doesn't spoil the department. I get it. But this is something that is true for African-Americans. It's true for African-Americans just as it's true for minorities that when it comes to, let's just say the law enforcement, it might be hard for you to understand the cry because you haven't had to have the walk. And because you don't understand, it's incumbent upon you to listen. I need people who are willing to listen and not talk. You may never listen to anything I ever have to share to you again, but understand if there is a cry to really reform the police department is really what the argument is to reform the police department it's saying that we have to find a new way of doing what we're doing because proportionately there are minorities who are being abused by the same people who are supposed to be protecting us. I'm not trying to get political. I'm just sharing with you what is true. You might disagree or you might say you have an argument to really shut that down, but this is the reason why we're still here because you have to listen. See, I know what it's like yeah, people see the Princeton and the Duke and they say, oh, Ivy League, Ivy League, his life. But that has nothing to do with my life. I know what it's like to be pulled over, handcuffed and taken to jail because I, had, I didn't have my seatbelt on, to be talking crazy to. Like I've been, I've been in jail a couple of times and you would say, you should have learned your lesson. Yeah, I know I didn't have a seatbelt on again. I had David Waller to bail me out of jail one Sunday. I was supposed to be preaching in the South Hall because I get pulled over and they got upset with a, with seatbelt, talked crazy, put me in handcuffs, took me to Bartlett Jail and I had to get bailed out. You wouldn't know that because I don't talk about it. I was just hoping my face wouldn't appear in the just busted or something. But here's the thing, here's the thing. There are situations you will never have to worry about because of maybe where you come from. And that don't have to feel guilty about it but I'm gonna teach you about the privilege that Jesus teaches us this. In, in Philippians two and five, six and seven, what I like about that, Jesus gives us the remedy. He says, and I'm gonna get to something that I really need to talk to you all about before you leave. He says, it says, 
let this mind be in you that was in Jesus Christ. First, it, it, it begins by saying, let this mind be in you that was in Jesus. That's how it starts, right? And then it goes on and says, though he was God, he did not desire, he did, he did not consider it robbery, right? He did not want to hold on to his divine privileges so bad that he was unwilling to leave heaven, come down to earth, put on humanity, put on flesh so that he can become just like the people on earth so that he can turn around and lift them up, build them up and bring them to a place so that they can now share in the same divine privileges that he had. In essence, and I'm a Read it to you. What the text says is, let this mind, let this attitude be in you who was just who was who was in Jesus Christ, who did not consider it robbery to relinquish his divine privileges. He knew he was equal with God, but he knew there was he knew people on earth were struggling and needed help. And so he was willing to come down to earth relinquish his divine privileges, I'm gonna get there, come down to earth and lift people up so now they can share in the same divine privileges that he had. But here's the thing, he never had to really relinquish it because he he's still who he is. He was willing to share what he has though. So when you start talking about privilege, the text says this, though he was God, did not think, it of, think of equality with God as something to cling to instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Uh, and he appeared in, in, in human form. All right. And then he died on the cross. That text is the epitome of how you, you put privilege in its place. For Jesus, he was willing to come down and to help a people who needed help to lift them up so that now they were equal. And for, for Jesus, he's saying, yeah, I have divine privileges, but I don't care so much about my privileges that I wanna hold on to them to ignore everybody else who is struggling. My privileges are not that important to me where I can ignore the people who need my help. And so since I'm in a position, Jesus Christ, to help people, and I might be the only person who can help the people. Let me go down to where they are. Let me ask clarifying questions. Let me heal. Let me show them who I am. And let me introduce them to the privileges that I have. And now they have an opportunity, an equal opportunity. Nobody on this line has an easier access to the Lord than I do. We all have the same access to the same power and the same anointing, depending on how much you want to activate it and walk in it. So when it comes to white privilege, for my Caucasian brothers and sisters, it's not about relinquishing your privilege. It's not about giving up who you are. It's not about leaving your home. It's saying that I believe that for Jesus to come down from heaven, it wasn't an easy thing to do. I don't think he just woke up like, yeah, I'm about to do this. He, he was like, Lord, take this cup from me. I'm, I'm through with it. Like, I'm finished. Like, this is it, not your will, not my will, just your will. Look, take this cup from me. It was hard, but it was necessary. So I'm not saying that it will be easy. But what I'm saying is that it has to, it's necessary. In order for us to move, each of us has to look at our privilege and has to put it in its right place. 
We cannot get to where we're going if you choose, because all you got, you don't have to listen to me, just listen to the Bible. Jesus Christ says, you know what? I can't, I'm playing Monopoly, y'all. I just want y'all to know I'm playing Monopoly. It's, the board is set, the board is set. But Jesus didn't consider it robbery to say, you know what? I got some business to do because I got some people to help. And so no matter who you are on the phone, and yeah, yeah, I know it's, I know time is of the essence. I ain't letting y'all push me. White privilege is a thing. Gender privilege is a thing. Religious privilege is a thing. But specifically white privilege is not something that you have to avoid, you have to ignore, you have to feel guilty about. But it's something that you have to, you yourself have to be willing to address in your own sphere. It's not something you can ignore or you can ignore, but if you really want to change and you really want to help, yeah, it's easy. I'm gonna tell you a hard thing. A hard thing is for me as an African-American, and let me be honest with you, for an African-American to preach, to build relationships with people of political difference, racial difference. You build relationships, you break bread, you love on people, you shepherd people until it's time to have difficult conversations, until it gets a subject of politics or race. Then it's like, ah, uh, you know, let's just talk about Jesus and not talk about that. And that's where the heartache comes, but I still got to preach to those people because that's what Jesus would do. These are still my family. It's just what it is. What I'm saying to you is that this is not easy on any front. It's not easy having the conversation, but this conversation is necessary because I have white, black, brown, and blue who are looking at me for direction, and I want to give you direction, but it doesn't mean it has to be an easy conversation. If you're looking for an easy conversation and you never want to follow what the Lord is doing through me uh, from this point forward, if that means our relationships are severed, I praise the Lord for you and I still love you and the Lord will bless you and continue to bless you. But let me help you. You know that man at the pool of Bethesda? Let me, let me give this to you. The man at the pool of Bethesda, Danny, it's easy to judge because, you know, we, we see him. He's been there for so many years and he hadn't got, he hadn't, he hadn't been healed. He's just sitting there and it just looks like he's lazy. It looks like he doesn't want to be healed. It just looks like he's just content where he is, right? That could be it. But it could be that everybody who came around, nobody really wanted to help him because they were only willing to help themselves. It could be that he has no relationships. It could be that he just doesn't know how. It could be a lot of different things other than the fact that he just doesn't want to be healed, right? So when it comes to African-Americans, we ask a question, why are they looting? And I heard uh, Kimberly, it was Kimberly Jones who said this, or Jackson, it was very prophetic, but I don't agree with looting, right? But I understand it. I understand the why to some degree, and I'm still understanding. But when you think about protesting, you have protesters, you have rioters, and then you have looters. You have the protesters who are there to bring attention to whatever injustice, whatever thing that they want. Hey, you can, people were protesting because they wanted to go back to work. All right, let's just call it what it is. All right, and there are people protesting because they, they want equality. You have protesters, you have rioters, people, I mean, people who are there, they're there to riot. They, you know, it's, it's going to be, it, we want force. We don't want non-violence protest. Yes, I protest. 
if you need, if you must know, yes, I've been a part of a protest. Yes, I, yeah, I, I agree with protesting. All right, you might not like that until it impacts you and your family and your household, but don't let me lose you. There's rioters and then there's looters. There's some people, they look for this opportunity. And when this opportunity comes, this is the opportunity for them to shoot their shot. This is their opportunity to walk through glass windows, glass doors, and whatever they can to take what they can, whatever TV, whatever mobile device, whatever vehicle. I watched, I watched something on social media where these gentlemen, these, these African-Americans, they, 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 they took some vehicles, like literally stole some vehicles outside of the dealership. And I'm saying to myself, why? Right. Now, you, this is hurting the cause because all people will see is that. Right. And then they say, oh, no, no, none of this is legit. Follow me. Not just the what, everybody, but what? The why. You have to ask yourself, why would people wait until this time to risk their lives to actually get something that is expensive, something that has been dangled in front of their faces? Why is the wealth gap at such a distance where people would literally wait for a moment like this to actually get their hands on something that they know they probably will never have a chance to get? The what I don't condone, but you still got to get to the heart of the why, the wealth gap, the, the, the opportunities. And so when people who are in a certain context who psychologically have arrived to a point of hopelessness, you have to ask yourself, how do you arrive to a place of hopelessness or to a place where you are willing to walk through glass to get some material possessions? It's harder for people who have it to even comprehend it. But if you're in a context where this is all you know, this like you would never have an opportunity. You don't know if I've been to job employment after employment because of my skin and where I come from. I don't have an opportunity, I, 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 I digress, all right. Let me say this. We talk about e economics. When you think about economics, you think about this monopoly board. Monopoly is nothing but economics. It's nothing but money. I don't know if you can see it. Yeah, it's nothing but yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, there we go. Monopoly is nothing but money. We got this thing set up. We got houses. We got more houses in this area. You know, we got vehicles. You know, we got this thing is just working out. I hope y'all follow me. I know y'all, some of y'all, look, some of you still quarantined. You have nowhere to go. Just let, let me, let me give this to you. I didn't want to do a part two, but just let me, let me give this to you. We set this up, but when you look at this monopoly board, it seems, or you, 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 can't, you can't fully see it, all right? When you look at this monopoly board, it seems that all of the movement, the homes, the houses, the cars, is on one side of the board. Lousy illustration, but just follow me. You look over here, I mean, you got a couple of houses. Don't really have any cars. Don't still play it. We got money. You know, money is a part of of monopoly economics. There's something that you have to be educated because when you when you when you listen, the second thing is you have to learn. And before we judge what we don't understand, it's important that we learn. 
Now, when I say learn, this means you have to develop relationships. You can't learn without relationships. You can't learn without listening. And I'll go as far as to say this. It is not enough for a Caucasian American today to, let me look at y'all faces when I say this. It's not enough to just not be racist. I said it, I'm gonna say it again, I'm gonna clarify. Today, 2020, it's not enough, and I'm still talking about Monopoly, can you believe it? It's not enough to just not be racist. Today, you have to be anti-racist. And in order to be anti-racist, you have to be for something. It's not enough to just say, I'm not racist. You have to be against racism. And to be against racism, you have to be for equality. And in order to be for equality, in 2020, it's going to require something of you. You, not just the person that you know, something of you. It's not enough to just be content to say, hey, you know what? I'm not racist. I get, you know, a couple of black friends, whatever the case is, you have to be for equality. And to be for equality, you have to get up and you're gonna to have to start doing something. And your movement is not somebody else's movement. Let, Lord Jesus, let me say this. Somebody else's movement, somebody else's actions doesn't have to be your actions. And you don't have to feel guilty because you're not on the front line protesting like Scott is, you know, that might not be your mantle for today. But your mantle has to be some level of sacrifice because it's not enough to say you're not racist, but you have friends who have racist, racist conversations around you and you don't check them. It's not enough to say you're not racist, but you see inequality happening, but because it doesn't impact you directly or the person you think is black or brown, that it doesn't impact, that it doesn't really shake anything up. But you don't know how I hurt because I don't show it to you. I show you a lot of my hurt, but I don't show you all of my hurt. And so I'm saying to you, whether you see me hurting as a black man, I see posts from people who I have bled with, people who I have walked with, people who I've put their family in the graves. And I see some things that I say, did you forget that I was African-American? And so regardless of that, the Holy Spirit can keep me. So what I'm saying to, but hear me, I'm talking, I'm about to say something to my, my African-American brothers too. It's not enough for the, for my white brothers and sisters to not be racist, but you have to be anti-racist. But even for my black brothers and sisters, let me say, it's not enough for you to, um, to just demand change or say that you want change. It's not enough to say, I want things to change. You actually have to be a part of the change. Do you know that there's some African-Americans right now who are saying, I'm going to vote for the first time? To say that you're going to vote for the first time says a whole lot about the fact that you have been in the back seat, just kind of chilling and just kind of just allowing things to pass by. So it's not just the responsibility. If racism is going to be eradicated, it is not the white person's responsibility alone. It's not the black person's responsibility alone. Everybody's going to have to work together to really make this. And you might lose some friends. You might lose some people on your side, but it's cool. It's for the greater good because it, if heaven is what you say heaven is supposed to be, with all people, all races, all colors, it cannot get that way without sacrifice. 
And so what I'm saying to you is when you look at this board and you look at that man at the pool of Bethesda, before you judge, you have to learn. All right, so when I say learn, what I want you to, to on your own time is to pay attention to a couple of things that I'm gonna mention to you. But keep in mind, even I say this, and some people say this, why are those African-Americans tearing up their own community? I mean, why are they tearing up a community that belongs to them and they gonna have to wake up, you know, a month later and be like, why? I mean, like now you have to travel miles to go to a Walmart because you tore up the Walmart that belongs to you. You ask that, that question, why would people, why would these African-Americans just tear up their neighborhood? That's the what. But wouldn't you believe that many of those people, not all, many of those people, when they look at that neighborhood, they don't see that neighborhood as belonging to them. They don't have, in their minds, they don't have ownership. They don't own any houses. They don't own anything in this neighborhood. So for them, they're not tearing up something that belongs to them. They couldn't own this if they wanted to. Inequality is not equity. Oh, Equality and equity are not the same thing. We, we're not just the same. We shouldn't just be the same, but we should also have the same opportunities. All right. The man in the pool of Bethesda, you're looking at this Monopoly board. What if I told you, and this is Kimberly, she said this, and Trevor Noah said something about this. What if, what if you're looking at this, you know, most of you know how to play this, is that I decided that we're going to play 400 games of Monopoly. And in 400 games of Monopoly, that, what if I told you, just before you shut me out, before you close me out, what if I told you that in playing this Monopoly, there's a people who were building and everything that they were building on this board, this is just round one. This is just the first game. That it was built, the economics was built on the backs or by the hands or by the labor of someone who didn't get a chance to play the game. So in order for an African-American to play Monopoly, they have to play Monopoly on behalf of somebody else. This, this is round one. So everything that's being built, just follow me before you shut me out because I can feel you shutting me out. I can feel it. Round one is being built, but the African-American, what little they might get is handed over to the people who they're working for. So nothing belongs to them. Round one. Let's go to round two. So we do this round two, we're still building. And the African-American is not driving a car. African-American is not being able to engage and indulge in what's being built because they're working on behalf of someone else. They might get a little bit, but the people who they're working for get a whole lot more. And what they get, they have to give up. So let's fast forward. 
We play 400 games of Monopoly. 400 games and not one of those games were the African-American, I'm generalizing, but you know where I'm going. They don't own a house. They don't own a vehicle because everything they have, the moment they get it, it has to be given to who they work for. And the people who they work for get a whole lot more. Why? Because of the economics that are growing this monopoly game. All This monopoly game has a whole lot of money flowing and it's thriving whether you agree with it or not. Hist you can't look in certain history books and expect for it to teach you this, but understand, yes, in the South agriculture, that was African-Americans. In the North, textile, it was African-Americans. And so they are building an economy and not getting paid for it. 400 years passes, just, we're not even talking about the psychological warfare. We're just talking about just one-on-one, -on -one, just ownership. Because everybody on this phone understands that ownership is wealth. You can rent all day, but renting is not wealth. And when you own a home, homes translate to wealth. And so when you own a home and then you move out of that home and then you sell that home, that equals more wealth and you have a bigger home to stay in. I'm going somewhere. After 400 games of playing Monopoly, then we decide, okay, let's decide to give the African-American, you know, a little equality. And so we think it's equality. So 400 years, and then for 50 more years, we have to still playing the game as it's, let's say, I don't want to use this trigger word, but let's say it's, it's rigged in the sense that laws that are passed, let's say that opportunities, and I'll, and I'll share with you what I mean by that, aren't the same. But for 50 years, let's just say these African-Americans try to build. They try to have their own wealth because they have an opportunity. But let's say something about, let's say 1921 happens. 1921 comes along. And the African-Americans have decided since they got an opportunity to build, that they begin to build in a place called Tulsa, Oklahoma. And they begin to build so much wealth that people started to term this place like the Black Wall Street. So much wealth, owning their own homes, building their own businesses. Now that they're trying their best to pull themselves up by the bootstraps. 1921 happens. And then let's say some people who were accustomed to how this used to be did not like what was happening because this means wealth has to be shared. I can't get into the minds of people who did what, I'm just talking about the results. You can look it up, 1921 Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so they decide the best thing to do is to go and to drop bombs and to kill 
and to eradicate 35 square blocks belonging to African-Americans, wealth, homes, businesses that they built. Because we don't like what's happening. Everybody on the line, nobody is the cause of racism, but you can be a part of the, the you, you can help to create a solution for racism. So this you're not the cause, but you can create a cure. All right, so get this. So they eradicate everything on the board. I, can you still see that? They eradicate everything on the board. And so now there's nothing. They call it a race war. A, literally, literally, all gone. Black Wall Street, nothing. So they got to start over. So not even two years later, you can go to a place called Rosewood, Florida. Rosewood, Florida. You have to, there was a massacre. They coined it as a massacre, 1923, in Florida. A massacre of African-Americans. Whoever wasn't slaughtered, the, the land was destroyed. This was also a place of wealth. This was also a place in where African-Americans were trying themselves, trying their best to pull themselves up by the bootstraps. And in trying to do that and trying to create wealth, Yet again, the dominant race or the people who had more decided that they didn't like that. And you don't, we're not grouping everybody, but I'm trying to share with you facts. So they come in, they start a race war, they kill a lot of people, destroy the land, every business, every wealth that was created in this part of Florida was absolutely destroyed. And so now, and start off, we're still talking about monopoly. But yet there's still businesses and things opening here and I'm going somewhere with this. And so now everything is absolutely destroyed. Think of, now this is 50 years, for 50 years, for 400 years we played the game for somebody else. For 50 years we tried to build and every time we built something, it was taken away from us. What kind of warfare, what kind of mentality, what do you think transfers for generations even after that? 450 years trying the best to create wealth. Let me, let me, let me, let me say this. 1921, 1923, then you get to 1934. 1934, what happens? Looking at this right here, I wish I had a pen. I know you're tired of me. You're ready to go. All right. So what happens in 1934, FDR, the president decides Hey, you know what? I want to create a housing corporation, a housing organization, because I want to give um, money to home homeowners so that they can finance their homes. We want to help people to buy their homes and help people to finance their homes. You do this in 1934. In 1934, you create this organization, and they create this organization so that they could a, a housing organization. They do this because they because he wants to help people to own homes, and so then they start to create a map. They create a map, and on this map, they color code this map. You can research this yourself. Just go to 1934 Housing Organization, or better yet, redlining. Redlining. So you write the word redlining, because if you want to know about equity and equality, you can't, like, I don't need you on the front lines protesting if you don't know the ins and outs of how people are impacted. See. African-Americans, you, you have to be more than just upset. 
You have to know your history and you have to know how to articulate what you need. Because right now, if I ask one of my counterparts who are white right now to come to you and to have a conversation and to see what they can do, and they say, hey, what can I do? Most African-Americans won't be able to give you a suitable answer. And so you, you live it. We live the hurt. We live the pain. But you have to be able to know your history to articulate it so that we can actually help our friends and our families to help us. Redlining. What is redlining? They go here. They go around 238 cities. They look at the map. And when they look at the map, they start color coding it. And they color code, you know, parts of the map green. And green says these are places where the banks are going to invest. These are good places. Then they color code blue. And they, and, they, and, they, and, they, and they put these over here, they're blue. They say, you know what? These are good to invest too. And then they look at some cities and they say, now don't, don't forget the green is all suburbs. So they get to the blue and they say, okay, yeah, we can invest in these too. We can give them money and give them opportunity. Then they get to the yellow and they say, okay, you know, we still will invest in them. This is cool. Look it up, redlining yourself. But then they get to red. And then there's certain sections in every city where they will, they will, they have inked out in red where they say, we will not invest in these particular neighborhoods. We will not give them money. The banks will not, it's not worth our investment. And lo and behold, these places, they outlined in red, where they get redlining, simply says, we don't give opportunities to these people because it's not worth investing. It just so happens that these places are in the inner city. And these places are African-American mostly. And so redlining happens where it is discriminatory, where you do not give the same loan practices to people who live in certain neighborhoods in certain cities. So hear me, before we judge the man at the pool of Bethesda, before we judge the African-American or certain parts of the city, when you go in Memphis and you see some parts, it's just, it's just dilapidated, no funding going in it. Before you judge, I'm saying in 1934, which the practices were happening before this, but in 1934 is when they actually made the racist, discriminatory actions, and they made it law. And so this way, no one is able to really own a home. And if I can't own a home, then how can I transfer wealth to my children? And so there's other people who live in the green parts who have wealth. And when they now can own a home and they move out the home and they sell the home and they move to a bigger home and then they send their children to school, all of this trickles down to the point where now you have uh, educational, you know, they can go to college, they can, they have, we're not even talking about the educational disparity or the employment disparity. We're talking about redlining and I'll give you one more called um, gerrymandering. Now redlining is a such thing as redlining and reverse redlining. Some people say, no, I see neighborhoods getting, yeah, there's such thing called reverse redlining where organizations, that's why you get the predatory lending, where organizations will go into these neighborhoods that have not had anybody to give them anything and then start to give them loans, but the loans are so outlandish. What am I talking about? I'm talking about there's people who are suffering and struggling in ways you don't even realize because 
there are situations, there are structures in place for us that makes it much more difficult for us to be able to get some of the things that you didn't realize was really difficult to actually get. More difficult than it was for you. Let me say that. More difficult than it was for you. And so you have this gerrymandering, which you think doesn't impact you. But what happens is you look at this same board, government officials will go in and then they start redistricting communities so that they can oppress or suppress voters, voter registration of vote, voter, vote, voters, so that when they do vote, it can either dilute their vote in one part of town and it can make their vote you know, strong in another town. The whole point is to be able to get the, uh, the, the upper hand from one particular party. So if it's a Republican or if it's an ind independent or Democrat, let's say mostly, let's say Republicans in this regard, you will have people to go in and change. And let me not say Republicans, let me just say politicians. Will go in, it happens, in, it happens. Look up the word gerrymandering, it starts with a G, G E R R mandering, right? Gerrymandering and how this impacts you. Why does this impact you? Because when they redistrict and they move districts around, it, it makes it seem as though the place in which you're voting doesn't have a really strong turnout. And so people get to stay in office, people get put in office based upon the fact that people have been, been manipulating the districts within any given city. And so they start manipulating this, people stay in office, people get in office, but if you kept it straight across the board, it will look totally different. But this usually impacts minorities. You might not like this conversation, but it's true. So you have to look up gerrymandering because I don't just need my African-Americans brothers and sisters just yelling, change, change, change. But what do you need to change? What do you need to be paying attention to? What is it that's shifting? Yes, all when you start looking at when you start looking at gerrymandering and you start, you're unable to get certain funds into certain communities, then your schools look a certain way. Or if you even look at the housing, talking about the redlining, the reason why the schools look a certain way, you can't, you, you don't have, when they shifted the school system in the city of Memphis, it was the worst thing to happen. You started to see a lot of people get upset. I came from an underdeveloped school. You don't want to know what my school looked like. What am I saying? We all want the same thing. African-Americans, Blacks, we want the same thing that you want. We want a family, we want happiness, we want equality. We want the same opportunities. We wanna be able to walk into the bank and be given an opportunity to actually purchase a home. Like we want the same opportunities for our children to be able to go to a school. It's easy to walk, to drive past a neighborhood and to see dilapidated buildings and say, oh, they don't keep up their neighborhood. Yeah, but when businesses are told that they cannot go move into these neighborhoods and they're not given certain fundings and banks are told this, like, what do you expect the neighborhood to look like? And so it's not me taking the onus or the responsibility off African-Americans when it comes to black on black crime, when it comes to fatherless homes, yes, we still have to be accountable, but we still don't want you to ignore the systems that have been in place and things that have happened. Yes, it's 2020. It might not be exactly like 1950, but we still got some things going on when in fact we can't say, hey, the police did this and we can actually know that they'll be held accountable. But let me say this before I close you. It's not until you look at some police officers 
push down an older man, bust his head wide open, and, and walk over him, and they keep doing their job, that people are like, oh man, police are getting out of control. I'm not talking about all police. There are great police officers, family and friends, black and white alike. But it doesn't negate the fact that people then start to pay attention to say what's going on. Like this is, no, but for us, we've been living this for so many years, 450 years. So you have to think about this. And then now where the systems are in place, this is why you'll see some African-Americans who don't mind looting the neighborhood because as far as they're concerned, this neighborhood doesn't belong to me. It's never belonged to me. We'll never be able to own it. So I'm tearing up something that doesn't belong to me. Like I couldn't own this if I wanted to. So you got to think about the psyche, the psyche of even African-Americans who would just stay at the pool of Bethesda because every time I try to get out, I get pushed back down. And so it's, yes, we should be accountable, but you can't ignore the systems in place. All right, look, I knew I was going to get to this place. Um, it's important that I say this. It's 87 people, and I know there's some people who are online, YouTube. Let me give you this homework. Let me, let me share this with you. You need this because I can't close without giving you what you need to do. Don't miss this. You need a piece of paper and something to write with. For my white friends, I say it again, it's not a... You know, but when social media ain't around, you know, like we need, we need something. Spirit, it's, it's a spiritual thing, it's a sin, right? So laws won't change the heart, but what laws will do is it will protect me from the actions of the heart, right? And so we need to change laws. Laws do need to change but we need to be having conversations about it. And so five things you need to educate yourself about. Redlining, reverse redlining, gerrymandering, um, the educational disparity, um, you say the wealth gap slash unemployment, Racial profiling and police, police brutality. You'll be surprised if you start Googling certain things of stories that haven't even ever really made it to social media. And I don't, I don't want to hear the argument, well, you know, there's more, what's the argument? There's more black people, what it says, more black people kill white people than white people kill black people. Look. When you rebuttal, when somebody presents to you a grievance and you rebuttal it, what it says is you're not even listening to what they're saying. Seek to understand before you want to be understood. And then share your argument and let's talk about that. All right, racial profiling and police brutality. I need you to research Tulsa, Oklahoma, the bombing, 
you see it for yourself. Rosewood, Florida, the massacre. Talking to my, my African-American brothers and my Caucasian brothers and sisters too. Um, so I said five things, but yeah. So redlining, gerrymandering, educational disparity, employment, unemployment or employment and wealth gap, racial profiling and police brutality. Let me help you with this. There's five movies that I want you to watch because this is about learning. And so some of us might be able to learn by watching some movies. And let me say this to you before you leave. You don't get to say, I don't want to watch. Now, for my, white per for my white colleagues, you don't get to say, I don't want to watch this. This is too, this is too messed up. This is too like too gory, or this is like, this is too heart wrenching. That's the reason why you have to watch it. That's why the reason we have to engage this because we live it, right? And our ancestors have lived it. From our black counterparts, you don't get to say, I already know how this ends and I live it. So I don't, I don't, I don't want to watch it. I don't need to watch it. Yes, you do need to watch it because some of these things you're supposed to know and you don't know. And so we will blame just being African-American on the reason why we don't need to. We, it's bigger than MLK and, and Malcolm X and Rosa Parks, you know, and maybe the Black Panthers. Some might not even know who that is. But as African-American, you need to know a lot more history than that. All right, so five movies. 13th. 13th, 13th. You can find it on Netflix. It came out in 2016. 13th, watch it. Selma, it came out in 2014. You can find it on Amazon Prime and YouTube. That's Selma, S E L M A. Number three, Fruitvale Station. Now, again, some of my brothers will say, oh, man, I got some better movies. I have some great movies, but these are some movies that I think that I will, be, will be good for people to kind of engage. Fruitvale Station, it sounds just like it's, it's fruit and veil, V-A-L-E, as one word, Fruitvale Station. It came out in 2013. You can find it on Amazon Prime and YouTube. Number four, when they see us, it came out in 2019. It's four parts to it. And I think it's probably one hour for each. So it's four parts. When they see us, it's a true story. Netflix. There is one called Slavery by Another Name. It came out in 2012. You can find it on Amazon Prime. It's about 90 minutes. You probably can find it on PBS as well, but slavery by another name. And I got two bonuses. 12th Year Slave. Again, you can find better movies, but this is what I want to submit to you. That's 12 Year Slave came out in 2013. You can find it on Amazon Prime. Now, I'm, I'm humbly asking my, my colleagues of the lighter hue. This not, might be something that you've never even thought you'd watch. But if you want change, more than I need you to post something, more than I need you to go outside and walk, you know, 
you know, with, with, with signs, learn. And when you, when you share the pain of somebody, you don't have to worry about when times get hard, will they be there? But if you don't invest any pain and you don't have any sweat equity, then when things get hard, you know, I get silent. So 12 year slave, then one of my favorites is Roots, Roots. I say Roots, people say Roots. Now, let me tell you, I want you to watch it. It can't, now the second, the second edition, 2016, your final Hulu. All right, now I'll be honest, it's four episodes. And so, you know, you probably ain't gonna be able to watch, you ain't gonna be able to binge watch this. Like this ain't something you binge watch. Um, you can't do this immediately. Now, my goal in life is to not just talk at you and with you. I got to give you tools. I want to give you tools. I want you to walk away from me saying, I have some tools, even if it's more than you reckon for. So you watch those movies, right? So you listen to people around you. You develop relations with, with people around you. You ha ask people around you. It might mean your black brothers, your brown brothers, or your blue brothers and sisters who are in the police force. It might mean they might be complaining. They might be yelling or screaming or crying. Just listen. You don't have to have answers. But listen. Ask questions. Ask. I am a human being, everybody. I am not built by, by stone, brick, or any. I hurt, too. You know, and so um, just know, ask people. So I want you to, 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 to learn, but I also need you to, 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 to ask people, talk to people, listen to people, watch, but I want you to read. Some of you might say you're not readers, but you might need to become a reader because I, there's a couple of books I want you to read before you, before you leave. Jess Mercy, Brian Stevenson, that's Just Mercy. If you can get these books where you can hear them, fine. Whatever suits your fancy. Just Mercy. Uh, number two, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. The New Jim Crow. Next, The Fire Next Time by James Baldwin. Right, uh, the fire next time by James Baldwin, um, and then there is one called "The Color of Law." The Color of Law um, by Rothstein. That's by Richard Richard Roth R O T H Stein S T E I I N. The Color of Law, and that subtitle will be a forgotten history of how our government segregated America. I'm not trying to prove anything by having you to read this. I just want to expose you to more because um, there is a woman, I, I'll get to her what she says, but you need to know more. It's not okay to not know as a professional adult, black and white. It's not enough to just not know. And I want to give you ways to know. And so uh, the last one is the long walk to freedom. Anybody want to play Monopoly? All right, The Long Walk to Freedom, and that is an autobiography of Nelson Mandela. And these are all good books. Um, now, I haven't read this book. This is a bonus. I haven't read this book. I've perused it. And so I don't know. 
I've read some of her content, but I don't, so I'm, I'm just prefacing that. It's called White Fragility um, by Robin D'Angelo. Now, I like, I, you know, I've, I've seen some of the content and I think it could be useful. Uh, Robin D'Angelo writes a book called White Fragility. And, um, and this is what she says in one of her articles. She says, take out a piece of paper. She's talking to maybe our white counterpart. She says, take out a piece of paper. And she says, make a list uh, to answer the question, how have I managed to be a full functioning professional adult and not know what to do about racism? This is what she asked. And then she says, when you take out a piece of paper and you ask the question, how is it that I am a full-fledged adult and I don't know what to do about racism? And she says, you'll find answers like this. I wasn't educated about racism. I don't talk about racism with people in my life. I don't talk about racism with people of color. I don't really know any people of color and I haven't really cared to find out. Um, and I, cause I don't want to feel guilty. And then she says this, this is what she says. Whatever is on that list, that is your map. That's your map and everything on that list can be addressed, not overnight. You have to ask yourself, why is it that I don't know about this subject? Be honest. And then when you look at that, that is actually your map on how you can begin to address this. Everybody's map might look similar, might not be the same. I just want to give that to you. Sorry for taking up so much of your time, but I'm really not sorry to be honest with you. I'm sorry, but not that sorry. Um, but for, um, yeah, yeah, so this, write this, write this web address down because this will bless you. This will bless you beyond this conversation. The web address is this, www.eddie, E, that's E-D-D-I-E, -D -D -E, Eddie, Junior, that's J-R. So that's Junior. I'm sorry, Eddie Moore Jr. That's Eddie Moore, M-O-O-R-E. You got to get this web, address, this web address down, this URL down. That's EddieMooreJr.com. Eddie, E-D-D-I-E, Moore, M-O-O-R-E, Jr., J-R. That's EddieMooreJr.com. There's a forward slash 21-day challenge. Forward slash 2-1-challenge. What you're going to find there after you do what I've told you to do, these, these five different things, what you're going to find on there, what I, I found very helpful is a 21-day racial equity habit building challenge. It's a 21-day racial equity building or habit building challenge. Don't go to it right now, but go to it after you kind of embrace what has been shared, what we kind of just kind of kind of presented to you. And you'll see that he has provided everything you need to be able to challenge yourself in, your, in the privacy of your own home. There's conversations you can have with yourself. And if you ever want to have a conversation with me, I may not post a lot about it, but I am open and I'm available because the Lord has put a mantle on me to be able uh, to preach, to minister, and to shepherd people of all uh, ethnic uh, milieus, right? And so 
This 21 day racial equity habit building challenge is something that I want you to immerse yourself in slowly. Don't start off like a bottle rocket, start off fast and then, you know, fizzle out. Pace yourself. I love you with the love of Jesus Christ. I want to pray with you. And um, I want to release you. God, there's been a whole lot shared on this line. Fix my heart, my spirit, and I pray that anything that was shared, that Lord, it sift through your power, through your anointing, through your spirit, and that God, whatever was shared, that it lands um, where it needs to land on the hearts of your people. There is healing that must take place on all sides, not just African-Americans, not just um, law enforcement, not just white Americans, uh, not brown Americans. Um, there's healing that must happen. And God, we can't heal until we first learn to listen. Listen to your spirit. Listen to your voice. Listen to the voices of people who are hurting, who are downtrodden, who need help. And God, listen to ourselves. Because God, you've been speaking to us. Perhaps you've been whispering and we haven't been listening. So help us to build the skill and the muscle of listening. Help us to put our privilege, all of our collective privilege, help, it, help us to put it in its proper place and help us to walk the way you have and have the mind that you have. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. Uh, amen. All right, so look, I know a lot has been shared. And what I've shared with you has not been shared out of anger, animosity, or out of, I appreciate that, that, that clap, Curly. It wasn't shared out of um, malicious intent. It's out of love, right? Um, what I have to reconcile, if you desire to know, I have to reconcile the balance of, you know, really feeling this and really speaking about it because being in my position and my role, for a while, I'm try I've been trying to discover how do I balance being an African-American and leading people who are African-American, but people who are not African-American. I don't care about politics as far as what you vote and where you are, but some people care more about politics than they do about the Bible. Some people care more about the Constitution more than they care about the Word of God. And so for me, the Word of God always reigns supreme, right? And so I can shepherd and preach and minister to people who may not like me, who, who don't agree with me. That's okay. I don't care about politics in that regard. But I do care about my heritage. I do care about my skin color. I do care about people getting help, whether they are minorities, majorities, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. We're in a time and an era where the black community, when I say black, I'm talking about Native American. I'm talking about uh, Hispanic American. I'm talking about minorities. And yes, I'm talking about blacks. They need help. They need our help. They need my help. And so we need to stand up. Um, but as far as movement and as far as responding, I must prefer that you listen and learn first. Because if you listen and you learn, when you respond, you'll be responding for the rest of your life. But if you just respond right now and you don't really know, you don't really learn, and you don't really commit yourself to listening, then I believe your movement could just be for a season, right? Um, 
I've committed my life to you all and to doing what God has called me to do. Thank you for trusting me. Thank you for having other people to tune in. Thank you for sacrificing your evening. Um, this has been recorded. If you want it, you can have it. Maybe you don't. I don't know. But you all are still here. I don't. I got. I gave you what I needed to. I cut through a couple of things, so I don't see a part two. If the Lord speaks, then the Lord will. But stay tuned. Um, I got all kind of other announcements to share with you all in the coming weeks, um, in the coming months. I love you all. Um, go to my YouTube. If you're on YouTube, go ahead to my YouTube at Isaac Curry. Subscribe to that so that if I do this YouTube or whatever, you can get some notification. Or go to my public page on Facebook at I am Isaac Curry. Go ahead and subscribe to it, man. Just, just, just subscribe to it. Y'all know I'd be, yeah, just go subscribe to it. I love y'all. Y'all go ahead and um, I, see, I, it's so hard to say goodbye. You know what I'm saying? Go on, get out of here. Y'all, you're gone. Just go. Bye. I'm going to wait till everybody gone. I feel like I'm supposed to say all kind of other stuff. Just gone. Gone. Thank y'all for joining. Thank y'all. I love you all. Black, white, blue, brown. Thank y'all for trusting me. Sincerely, thank y'all for trusting me. I don't take that for granted. Soli, good to see you. I don't take Patrick. I don't, I don't take y'all tuning in for granted. I love y'all. Thank y'all. Thank you for trusting me. I appreciate you. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you. Um, thank you all. Go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube so that if I do do anything else that you will get a notification. Um, Panita, Minton, Jessica, Lilybug, D, Natasha, Kim Mitchell, Angela Yates. Yates, it's good to have you tune in. Um, Glenda, Paula Ford Malone, Beth, Terry, LaShondra Ford, Marcia, hey, love, um, Kendi, Cindy Baker, Kendi, where is Kendi? I'm sorry, Cindy, hey, Cindy. Reichert, what's going on? Marquis, hey, family, appreciate it. I know I went over, but you know, I got to work on my time, you know. I'm, I, you know, like, hey, the Lord, you know, me and the Lord just got to talk a little bit. I'm sorry. I got to do better with the time. I don't know. Audrey, thank you. Um, y'all hard-headed. Y'all don't want to get off the line. This, that's Y'all think I'm about to drop some more. And y'all know I be preaching. I think people be gone. I still be preaching. So I ain't going to do it today. I got to write this book, man. I'm tired. So, all right. So, all right, y'all. Wendy. Deanna, I can't hear you. What you say? All right. I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to read all, hopefully, hopefully y'all didn't say really nasty things in the chat. I'm going to read the chat. You can see what the chat says. Um, no. Hey, Nate, I appreciate you, bro, uh, for tuning in. Um, yeah, maybe I need to do a part two. I don't know. Love you. Love you. Thank you, Deanna. Um, I'll sit on it. I'll sit on what needs to happen from here. Bye, Kim. All right, y'all. Uh... All right, James. <laughs>